I love watching those kids run out. They're going to have fun. So I've got these three words that I was looking up. The first word is attend, to be present at, to go to. Attend. How many of you qualify this morning? Yep. If you're here, you qualify. Everybody's in on that one. The second word is participate, to take part, to have a part or share in something. Hmm. The jury's out yet, right, on the word participate. The last one is the word integrate. This one's a little longer. You've got to listen. To form, coordinate, or blend into a functioning of a unified whole. To incorporate into a larger unit. To unite with something else. Some people just like to attend. Others like to participate. And then others get fully integrated as a part of the whole. But lest you think that this morning is a guilt trip about which one are you, oops, we're not going to go into that. We're going to flip the script this morning because we're in this series called, Who Does God Say I Am? And the answer for this morning is, I am loved by the triune God. But we're going to flip the script and we're going to say, not what do you bring when you come to church, to church, right? We are the church. But what does God bring to the table? What about that question? What does God bring to the table when we come to church, when we are the church, when we enter into relationship with him? Who does God say that we are? Well, who does God say that he is in relation to us? And so this morning, I want to say that that I am and you are loved by the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want to take a look at how God connects with us through each of those people. <laughs> it's hard. See, we're, we're a different, we're, we're um, another of the same kind. Like me and Adam, you and I are, we're both men, but I'm one and you're another. But God is wholly other. So when we talk about him, he's three persons in one, and that just messes up our personal pronouns and singular or plural, and we don't know how to say him, them, or talk about them, or sometimes you, we call the Holy Spirit it, and then we're like, oh, he's not an it, and, and it's not, it is a he, and we get all these things mixed up. Um, so this morning, I want to ask a question, what is God who does God say that he is? And what does he say his, his relationships are with us? So number one, we're going to talk about the father. The father, I am his child. When it comes to the father, I can say I am his child. You can say if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I am his child. And we, again, we're looking at mostly Paul's writings in the New Testament, so here we're in Romans chapter 8. Look what it says in verse 14. Now, of course, Romans 1 through 7 and the first 13 verses of chapter 8 are there, and they're very meaningful, but we're getting to verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So Paul's writing to the believers in Rome, and in their culture, adoption was very meaningful. In the Hebrew culture, adoption really wasn't so much a thing because if, um, if a parent died, then the, the, the dad's brother or another family member would come in and they would take over and there was kind of a, there was a line of succession familially within the family. And so it wasn't like somebody was an orphan and they just didn't have anybody so much in the Jewish culture. But in ancient Rome, adoption had a really powerful meaning. So when a child was born biologically in Rome, if they wanted the child, they would keep the child. If they didn't, no harm, no foul, they would just get rid of the child in whatever way they, they did it. They, I suppose they had any number of ways that they could be kind and loving or they could just you know, dismiss themselves of the child. Um, sometimes girl children were more readily gotten rid of because the heir would have to be the boy. So um, the parents had the option of disowning a child, a biologically born child, for a variety of reasons. The relationship, therefore, was not necessarily desired by the parent nor permanent. So if you had a baby, you could decide what you were going to do with that baby. But not so, however, if a child was adopted in Rome. In Rome, adopting a child meant particularly two things. Number one, that that child was freely chosen and desired by the parents. So, you know, I choose you, and you're brought into the family, and that child would be a permanent part of the family. Children couldn't be disowned if they were adopted. Once they were adopted, legally, they were part of the family, and they couldn't be dismissed. They couldn't be gotten rid of. So an adopted child meant a new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, or debts were canceled. So in a sense, the old person that they were was kind of wiped away. They got a new name, a new identity, and all of the stuff from their old life was dismissed and erased. New rights and responsibilities were taken on. And in ancient Rome, with adoption and with inheritance, the concept of inheritance, it was a part of life. It wasn't something that began at death. So now if you are in somebody's will, you're just kind of, you know, just kind of waiting around, right? They have to, I mean, gently, they just need to move along for you to inherit whatever it is that they're leaving to you. But in ancient Rome, it wasn't that way. Once you were adopted, you received your inheritance, you were part of the family, and being adopted meant that someone was an heir to their father and joint sharers in all their possessions and fully united to him. So when Paul says that this spirit is, uh, you know, you receive adoption as sonship, oh, well, that's good. I mean, that's, that's even better than being born again in that, uh, in that metaphor. To them, it was even better because this meant you're in. You're in and there's no getting out. And you get everything now. You become part of it right now. So Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter four. So we're gonna leave Romans eight just for a second. 
But it's still Paul writing in Galatians 4. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Last week, I think we were in Galatians chapter 2. So here's two more chapters, right? So he's talking about being born under the law. To redeem those that are under the law, take them out from under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Oh, their ears perked up at that. Galatia, the, the, the cities and churches in the Galatian region were all part of the Roman Empire. So that same concept of adoption was not foreign to them. Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. And then jumping back to chapter 8 of Romans, the very next verse where we left off says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And again, they're not thinking, we think, oh, someday, someday. They're not thinking someday. It wasn't someday. It was today. It was now. They're heirs with God, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Who is God to us? What does God bring to the table? He says, I'm willing to adopt you as my children. You can't be unadopted. You get all the rights and privileges. That's why, that's why regeneration is a big word in theological circles anyway. It's, it's, the term, it's, from, it's where we get the concept of being born again, right? We, we, get, uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We're made alive. Uh, we're, we're born again. We're born into the family of God. And we can easily think, yeah, but it's not real because it's not biological. Those of you who have adopted understand differently, right? You know that it's not an issue of biology. It's an issue of relationship. It's an issue of heart. It's an, it's an issue of, of an ownership of a relationship and, and a possession of love towards somebody. And God brings to the table, I'll be your father. You can be in the family. I, I, I came across this, this story. This boy, he was an orphan uh, from south of the border somewhere, and he got to spend some time with a family in the United States and they really grew attached to him and then he had to go back home. They wanted to adopt him, but they couldn't say anything to him as he left. They had to wait until they could make sure that they could actually adopt him. And then he's, uh, he's in school and they, they surprise him with a, with a FaceTime call and he sees them. So take a look at this video. if mommy and daddy decided to also be a mommy and daddy for Sebastian. Yeah! 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 
La traducción. La traducción. Aquí ya tengo Mira. los autos. Tenemos una pregunta, ¿ok? Pero lo escribí para que yo pueda decir en inglés y tú puedes leer, ¿ok? ¿Me entiendes? Ok. ¿Ready? Queremos ser tu hermano. So he says, I will have a family that I will stay with for my whole life. You know, we can watch something like that and it tugs at your heart a little bit, but this is what God is saying to us. Will you be a part of my family? Will you? Will you be a part of my family? Can I be your papa? Can I be your dad? Can I be your father? Be a part of my family. It's so easy for us to read over some of these verses and just really not get the concept that God is at. He's actually a person. He's a person. In fact, he's three persons. Even better. God is three persons who want us as part of the family to be adopted as sons, as, as daughters, as, as full children with full rights, with the name. He wants people to look at us and say, you've got your father's eyes. So that's what God brings to the table. He says, I'll be your dad. I'll be your father. You want in? I'll adopt you as a son. And knowing that when I adopt you as a son, immediately you've got all the rights and privileges and they cannot be revoked. That's what God brings to the table. What does the son, what does God the son bring to the table? Well, John 15 says we are the branches on his vine. Pastor Bo spoke from this uh, a month and a half or so ago and uh, I was drawn back to it because of uh, what we've all gone through since August the 10th. Because this this passage takes on some new significance. I was just in Cedar Rapids yesterday and, and uh, saw the, the, the remains of the devastation. I mean, the, yesterday was a full-on work day. Trucks, trailers, they were hauling stuff away. There's still trees, you know, hanging on lines and branches hanging from trees. It's pretty, it was, I can't imagine what it was like on the afternoon of August 10th. It had to be really bad there. But when you read this passage now, 
That's a great illustration. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a picture here of this, this, these apples. What are they connected to? They're connected to the, to, the, to the branch. They're connected to the tree. They're connected to the life of the tree. And what the life of the tree is, that's what kind of fruit gets produced. Now, you remember when you took your branches out to the road, right, and you lined them all up in your front yard like your trophies, right, all across your front yard, and, then, and they, they looked great that first day. Number one, because they were out there and they weren't back wherever else they were. And number two, there were still like green foliage and leaves on them. But then after a couple days, you know, we hurried to get them out because we knew the town was going to come. And then one day went by and then two and then three. And that, it was just a couple of days. All the, they're all like, they're all like shriveled up. They're like so different. And you're, you look at the branch, because the branches on the ground look the same as in the tree, except for they were on the ground. And then two days later, what's wrong with those things? They're getting, and three or four days later, they're completely emaciated and shriveled up. They've been, they've been removed from the life-giving power of the tree. Jesus says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And there's a picture of just such an occasion when the branches, what do we do with branches, right? If they're on our property and we're not taking somewhere, we're probably just going to burn them. Some of you have burned piles. Some of you have burned really hot fires from branches that, hey, they're not a part of the tree anymore. So either they become part of your stack of firewood or you gotta get rid of them. Who wants dead, detached branches? Nobody. You throw them into the fire and they're burned. Jesus says, if you don't abide in me, you're gonna be like one of those branches. You're just, it's of no use. It's useless and it's fruitless. It's fruitless. You don't keep the branches till the next year, hoping more fruit grows, it won't grow. And then Jesus said, if you remain in me, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, in our literality, we read that verse and I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, we can really ask for anything? We'll just ask for it. Will God really give us anything we want? But we're away from the context. Look at the context here. The context is the, the derecho, the, the detached limbs that were no good. And now the picture is of limbs that have never been detached. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, my life remains in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Go to the next slide. Now I want the, the, the grapes. Here they come, the grapes of wrath. There they are. Look at those grapes. Why are they connected to the vine? Why? Because this is where they get their life from. That's how they get to be grapes, right? Because it's a grapevine. And grapes grow from grapevines. And Jesus says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, 
whatever you wish you can ask for and it will be done for you. In the context of this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So if you want the heart of Jesus, ask God for it and he'll give you the heart of Jesus. If you want the DNA of Christ, if you want the love of Christ, if you want the faithfulness of Christ, if you want the faith of Jesus, if you want whatever Jesus has as the head of the body and as the savior of the church, in order to bear fruit, in order to display the fruit of the Spirit, in order to go and make more disciples. In that context, if you want to be like the vine, as the branch off the vine, God will answer that prayer. God will give that to you. God will make you fruitful. He'll help you. He's not there for our wish list. He's there to give us whatever we need to be fruitful for him. Whatever we need to be, I mean, if if you're, okay, let's just say you're a fruit, okay? Let's say you're a cluster of grapes or an apple or a banana or whatever it is. What's your job? Your job is to be the best, most delicious piece of fruit possible for the human or the animal because one or the other is going to eat it, right? They're to be consumed, right? People, there are some photographers or artists, painters or sketchers. They like to take pictures of fruit, arranged in different ways. You know what I'm saying? It's, and an apple ought to be the best apple. Ought to be the best bunch of bananas. God is saying, hey, if, if you're connected to my son Jesus, you should be the best fruit off that vine that you can possibly be. And in order to do that, you can ask whatever you want, and I will help you to be that. We, we, literally, we literally have the DNA of Jesus the lifeblood, the, the red blood cells of Jesus coursing through us because we're connected. He said, I am the vine. He said, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. That's what Jesus brings to the table. He says, hey, he says, I, I'm coming with an IV. Hook up to me, baby. In another verse, he says, right, yoke up with me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Partnership, I mean, talk about pinky swear where you prick your fingers, right? This is what Jesus brings to the table. Now, two more things, two more things that Jesus brings. Verse 15 of that same chapter, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. In so many workplaces, there's the office. Nobody knows what's going on up in the office or up in the offices. When I, was, when I worked in the supermarket as a, as a young person and as a young adult, um, I would be down on the floor doing things and usually the office was somewhere along the perimeter of the store and it was usually raised up. For whatever reason, it was raised up. I thought in my first store it was so the manager could look up there and he could watch the whole store and he could see what we were doing. That's what I thought it was raised up for. But they had, they had file cabinets and papers and no computers back when I was doing that, right? But no screens, but just all this busy work. And I had no idea what went on up there. They were doing stuff and they were moving things around and shuffling papers and I had no idea what was going on. And Jesus says, you're not a servant because a servant, he doesn't know his master's business. I didn't know what was going on up there. 
I didn't know any part of the business of what, except for what I did. He says, instead, I have called you friends. Why? Because everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. No secrets. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. This Father who said, I want to adopt you with full rights and privileges into my family. Jesus says, I'm going to come, and when you see me, you've seen the Father. When they looked on the cross and they saw the Son, they could see the Father. That was the love of God. So he's our friend. And then, lastly, what is Jesus to us? In Hebrews 11, whoever the author of Hebrews was, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, he wrote this, or she wrote this, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, which is us, brothers and sisters. You know, they say you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family, right? Usually because you'd like to unpick some of your family members. In this case, Jesus says, I will be your friend and your family. I'll be your sibling and your best friend. I come to you as sibling and best friend, friends and family. But then he says, I'm also the vine. And somewhere else he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me, right? You want to talk about integration? You want to talk about installing the software? It's not just installing the software. When we unite together with Jesus, it's like he's, he's our operating system. He's the platform that we exist on. God, see, God doesn't want us to just come to some building and, oh, we're going to worship, or like he's some, you know, guy in a totem pole or, or, or set up on some pedestal that we bow down to and we bring offerings to and then we leave. God says, hey, I made you. We're integrated. We're together. We're fused together. What did we read last week or the week before? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in me, Paul said. You know, when you go, you can worry about the satellites up in the sky or the drones. You know, you can never get away from anything nowadays. You can never be off in a field by yourself somewhere. Well, you're never alone. Even if the drones are down and the lights are off and the sky is covered with clouds, you're never alone. Because God fuses himself together with you. Now the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Holy Spirit. We are his temple and he lives within us. What does God bring to the table? His spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter two, after Paul talks about the Gentiles and the Jews and how they had this, this adversarial relationship and how there was this wall between them and what Jesus did brought the wall down and brought Gentile and Jew together and made one new man. Then he says in verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, you Gentiles, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and you're also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Members of his household, built on a foundation, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And then he goes on with this metaphor of a building. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together 
to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Not only does God, not only does he fuse himself together with us, he makes us, puts us in his family, and then he unites us, he he joins us together with him, but then he joins us together. And you also are being built together to become this, this holy temple in this dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. If you were to look in 1 Peter 2, I got off in 1 Peter 2 and I almost thought, oh, maybe I should just do 1 Peter 2 this weekend. I'm like, okay, there's a you know, shiny object syndrome. Oh, there's a squirrel. Um, but 1 Peter 2, oh my goodness. Peter and Paul obviously spent some time talking about this together because Peter talks about this same stuff and both Peter and Paul talk about how, you, how we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. So God doesn't just unite us with himself. He unites us together with one another so that we can become a group, an integrated whole, where God lives by his spirit. That's intense. That's intimate. That's tight. That's the way God wants it. Sometimes we forget that, you know, especially in the culture we're living in today, the times we're living in, the time we're living in, and everything's kind of crazy and chaotic. And we hear all kinds of, you know, we hear this and we hear that. And God's like, shh, shh, just be still. It's okay. The world is not okay. But it's okay between me and you, God says. Now, I want to end on 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and talk about the implications of this indwelling spirit. The implications. Like, so what? Okay, so the Holy Spirit lives within me. So what about it? Well, so this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, kind of in the middle of verse 13. It says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Now, this little passage that we're going to look at has these, like, disparate elements in it. It's like, he's talking about this, like, holy, holy stuff, and then he's talking about this, this, immoral stuff on the other side. And he's drawing parallels and he kind of mixes it all together to teach a lesson about the implications of the indwelling Holy Spirit and also like what the body is and what our bodies are and what about Jesus' body. And he says the body's not for sexual morality, but the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So the body isn't evil, right? God created us, but he created us for him. And then he's there for us. It doesn't mean that the Lord was created for us, but that he is also there for us. God is there for us. And then it says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Literally, he's saying, remember, you're fused together with Jesus. You're part of his body. You are the body of Christ. And if I... And if I rose the body of Jesus from the dead, you're part of it. You will rise from the dead too. You're not going to be stuck in the ground. Don't worry. Death will not have, as he says in other places, mastery over you. 
You're no longer in bondage to this idea of death and destruction and damnation. I rose Jesus from the dead. You're part of Jesus. You're part of his body. Don't you know, he says, that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take, he says, the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Now literally what that says is that the two, one flesh. They're, they're one. There's this joining together. But again, that's, that's one thing that he's talking about over here, but there's a bigger lesson here because he says in verse 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one spirit, is one with him in spirit. Now, in the NIV 2011 here that I'm reading from, they decided to translate one with him in spirit. In the original language, it just says is one spirit. And they're interpreting because they're, they don't want us to think that all of a sudden like we're deity because us and God are one spirit, so then we're gods. But what he literally is saying is that we're one spirit with him. That intimacy and that closeness and that unity between us and God. Therefore, if we're that close, and if our bodies are connected to Jesus, what we do with our bodies is important. Not just sexually, that's just one thing. But if you read Paul's writings, all kinds of stuff, how we treat people, how we care about others, what we say, the actions we take, whether or not we're a stumbling block for others, how we forgive, how we're long-suffering. So he goes on and he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Why is this important? Because your body is connected to Jesus. Your body is connected to Jesus. We're part of the body of Christ. It's not just an, uh, a non-physical thing. It's a physical thing as well because God is going to raise our physical bodies, and we're part of the body of Christ. There's a lot of continuity there. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. And then he ends this section. He says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. Because your bodies are like the top of the tree. And everything that comes under it is so important the root system, the soil, the trunk, and everything. There's a lot. It's not just our bodies. It's because we're connected to Jesus, because we're part of the body of Christ. We take Jesus with us where we go. We take Jesus with us, whether it's a sexual act or whether it's, a, it's, a, it's an evil action against somebody, a careless word, a heartless word, a cruel word, a, a wrong action, a judgment on somebody. That's why we're to be salt and light, because we're Jesus. As we're walking around, we're the body of Christ. We're Jesus on this planet and around people. And what we do with our bodies matters. He says, honor God with your body. So what does the Holy Spirit bring? The Holy Spirit says, I live within you. However we can understand our physical bodies and what's inside and how our soul in spirit are connected so that they never like separate? Like have you ever looked across the room and seen your body standing over there? 
I mean, maybe in a mirror, but I never have. I mean, I've heard these out-of-body experiences. I don't know much about them. But generally, our, our spirit and soul are connected to our bodies. However we understand that, somehow the Spirit of God indwells us and enables us and empowers us and groans with us and prays for us and longs for re- full redemption where our physical bodies are redeemed as well. We're raised to new life and we're changed. What does God bring to the table? God brings a lot. So when we come together as the body, it's important. That's, that's why, you know, Zoom is okay and it's gonna work for a while, but you still gotta get connected. Hopefully, hopefully you're connecting in, in small groups or with neighbors or at your house or somebody else's home. You're in physical proximity to other believers. We need that. We need that. Just like we got to abide in the vine, God wants us to abide with each other and remain with each other and encourage one another. That's why, and Paul writes, Paul writes all about this stuff. And all of this stuff is connected together. It's all integrated because God is fully, wholly, completely integrated with us. That's what he brings. So the last slide, um, what do I have up here? At the bottom, we are who the triune God says we are. We're loved by him. We are who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit says we are. You know, there's tentacles hanging on to you. You can walk out of this room and get in your car, but the tentacles are dragging along behind your car because you can't even close the door. They're hanging out. The tentacles of your relationship with God and Therefore, your relationship with the rest of the body and with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's a holistic, integrated thing. That's what God brings. So as you go today out of here and do whatever it is you're going to do today or throughout this week, you're not going alone. Everything you say and everything you do is in service to God. Everything you say and everything you do should be betray that the Holy Spirit is inside of you and that you are connected to God. It's a good thing. It's a deep thing. It's an intimate thing. I hope it's an encouraging thing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that, that you, Father, have adopted us as children and that we have the full rights and privileges. And, Lord, that that can never be taken away that you love us and you brought us into your family. God, help us to feel loved and wanted by you. We often don't love or want ourselves. But God, help us. Give us eyes to see, eyes to observe your smile of approval, your nod of affirmation, your smile of love. God, help us to experience you as our Father. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you're the vine that we're connected to. Lord Jesus, would you, would you allow your love, your heart, your care for others to course through our veins, to fill our hearts with the red blood cells of of your heart for the lost, your heart for the least of these, your heart for the other, 
for the stranger, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. God, would you give us the heart of Jesus and Holy Spirit, may we recognize you, our empowerer, our enabler, the one who's conforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. Try in God, we worship you, we thank you. God, help us to be aware and to live out this truth in our lives. We love you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.